Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. And care for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Do you like asking for help? I, I, I hate when I have to admit that there's something I can't do and I need someone to help me. That is the worst to me. A couple of weeks ago, I had to ask my son to help me fix something on my iPad. He's eight years old. Do you know what that does to a person? That just wrecks you. I hate having to admit that I need help. And so in my life, as I've journeyed with Jesus Christ, this has been a little bit of a problem for me because the Bible says that I need Jesus' help, that apart from him, I can do nothing. Today we're gonna talk about what is a difficult topic for me, and I'm sure for many of us, that we are totally dependent on God. And in this modern age of rugged individualism, we don't wanna hear this. We don't want anyone's help. We don't want to have to depend on anyone. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 today. Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to jump into a new section of the Bible. We're going through the Bible together in 2022. We're jumping into a new section. It's called the epistles, which is just a fancy word for letters. And at this point in history, Jesus has lived and he's died and he's risen. He's ascended into heaven and people are starting to follow him. But because it's all new, they have lots of questions. And so God uses people like Peter and James and Paul and John to try and help them understand. These are people who witnessed the life of Christ, who've interacted with Jesus to help people understand what it means to follow him. They write letters or they write epistles to people or to churches. And over the next couple weeks, we're going to sample some of these letters. And I think what you're going to see is that first century Christians asked basically the same questions that we do 2,000 years later. Today, I want to impress upon you our absolute dependence on God. And it is so hard for us to admit because we don't want anyone's help. I don't know about you, but I've said those words. I don't need your help. I don't want your help. I don't want to depend on anyone. As we go through this passage today, I think that you're going to hear some things that we read that are different than what you're used to hearing, that are different than what the world teaches. I think there are some things that you're going to hear today that aren't super politically correct, because if you're kind of paying attention, if your antenna are up to what the world is saying, just what's going on around us, I think you hear a lot of things like this, like people are good, and you know what, just be yourself and do your best. I think these are the things that the world sort of promotes, that the world teaches. I would argue if these things are true, then we don't need God. Do we really need God to just be yourself? You could do that on your own, to just do your best. If these things which the world teaches are true, then I would say we don't need God. And so what I want to do today, I want to leave this up for a few minutes, and I want to get into this passage and see what the Bible says, and then kind of give you a chance to decide how much you think we need God. 
So Ephesians chapter two, verse one, here we go. Paul, the apostle Paul is writing. Here's what he says. He says, as for you, in my Bible, I just wrote Brad, because he's talking to all, he's talking to all Christians. As for you, Paul writes, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. The ones in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time. We gratified the cravings of our flesh and we followed its desires and thoughts. Like everyone else, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Oh boy, warmed you up with just a feel-good story there, didn't I? (laughs) Go back to what the world says. People are good. Be yourself Do your best. Is that what you heard Paul say in Ephesians 2? No, it's actually really different, right? People are good. Well, Paul says actually that apart from God, people are dead. That's different. This idea of of be yourself. Well, Paul says that when we are acting like ourselves, when we're acting in what he says, he says the flesh, right? What's he really saying? He goes so far as to say we're following the ways of the world, and the ways of Satan. Yikes. The world says, do your best. Paul says, here's what that'll get you. God's wrath. So we have a problem. Because where we started, people are good. Be yourself, do your best. We don't really need God. You can do those things on your own. But Paul, if Paul is right, Paul says, We're dead. Can a a dead person do anything on their own? No, of, of course not. But Paul says that we're dead. If I'm dead, can I do anything on my own? And Paul says that we're deserving of wrath. If if the God of all creation is going to pour out wrath and judgment on me, do I have any chance of appeasing him? Do I have any chance of evading him or sort of getting out of it? No, not really. And so part of our understanding of our dependence on God is actually understanding who we are. The world says, hey, you're you're a good person. Just do your best, and you know what? You're probably gonna do some bad things in your life, but over the course of your life, just do more good than bad, and and everything will be fine. If there even is a God, it's all gonna be okay. Just, Just do your best, just be yourself. Sort of live like yourself, your truth, right? Paul, you go back to what Paul says, and Paul says, actually, you're living the ways of the world, and you're actually following, strong language, the ways of Satan, and you're dead. You see how different those two are? And he's not trying to beat us up. He's not trying to shame us. He's just trying to have us sort of sit in this reality and this, think about this idea that we are absolutely dependent on God, total dependence. I, I can't be a good person and that's good enough. I can't just be myself. I can't just go through life and as long as I do more good than bad, I'm gonna be okay. Paul goes, stop, you're dead. Apart from God, you're dead. You don't just need sort of a little adjustment in your life. You don't just need to do a little bit better. You need resurrection. You are completely without life, Paul says. And I don't like any of this. I don't wanna be told that I need help. I don't wanna be told that I need anyone or I'm dependent on anyone. Keep going, verse four. 
Paul writes, but, circle that, but, because of his great love for us, because of God's great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. We were dead. God made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. Paul goes back to this idea, and he goes, you were dead. Why? Because of sin, right? Sin and transgression. And you were deserving of what? Of wrath. But, he says, but God made you alive. You were dead, but God made you alive. And I don't think we can spend enough time talking about this analogy, and he will repeat it over and over again, this idea that we are dead. Apart from God, we are dead. That a person who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, you and I, if we don't have a relationship with Jesus, or before we had a relationship with Jesus, we are completely without life. Not sort of messed up, not sort of off track, completely without life. And I think what we so often do is we, we have in our mind that meeting Jesus and entering a relationship with Jesus is sort of really just this course correction, right? It's almost like we have this idea that we are kind of going through life, and you know, there were some ups and downs, it was a little bit topsy-turvy, and then we met Jesus, and he put us on the straight and narrow, right? He sort of cleaned us up, he, he gave us a, a path to walk. That is not at all what it means to enter into a relationship with Jesus. What Paul is saying is that we were absolutely dead. We were absolutely flatlined. And then we met Jesus, and he made us alive, right? We, we, we've got to get past this idea that, that we met Jesus, and he sort of fixed us. He sort of bumped us back onto, onto the track. He gave us a little course correction. No, you were dead. Paul says, you were dead, and God made you alive through Christ. Again, do you hear? Do you hear total dependence? Do you see it? I mean, can a dead person bring themselves back to life? As silly as that question is, think about the analogy that Paul is saying. Can a dead person bring themselves back to life? Of course not. P.S., even Jesus Christ couldn't do that. The Bible says that the Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead. Keep going. He says it is by grace, verse five, it is by grace that you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So he made us alive, right? He saved us. What did he save us from? Again, what did he save us from? Death, sin, right? He saved us from wrath. He saved us from ourselves, the decisions that we were making, following the ways, he says, of Satan, the ways of the world, the ways of our flesh, and God saved us. It says he raised us up. He seated us in the heavenly realms of Christ. He resurrected us back to life. What does all this mean? I think it just means he brought us into his presence. God made us sons and daughters. He gave us peace. All dependent on him. And I don't know if you caught this, but, but, but listen to the, these words that he used again. Saved, raised up, and seated with Christ. You notice they're all past tense? They're all things that have already been done. None of what Paul is saying for the Christ followers, like if you do this, then you will be saved. If you do this, then God will raise you up. If you do this, then he will seat you in the heavenly realms with Christ. If you do this, he will adopt you into his family. There's no like, if you do this, then in the future God will do these things. It's already done, right? The work of Christ is already done. He says, Christ follower, you have been saved. You were once dead. You have been made alive. You have been saved. 
You have been seated with Christ. Do you see how, I mean, you keep going back to it, and you, you see how, man, is any of this our doing? Is any of this because we're good people? Oh, God saved you because you're really good. No. Is any of this because God saved you and he raised you up and he gave you new life because you did lots of good things? No. Because you did more good than bad? No. In fact, quite the opposite, actually, right? Paul is, is saying that we were dead. Dead people are incapable of anything, good, really good or bad, incapable of anything. And God raised us up to life. We are dependent on him. I'm just getting started. It gets good. Watch this. God is going to explain. Verse 7, he's going to explain why he did this. Verse 7 starts out with the phrase, in order that. Circle that. Highlight that. Underline that. That's the key to this entire passage. In order that. Why did God save us? He's about to tell us. Why did he raise us up? Why did he seat us in the heavenly realms with Christ? He's about to tell us. Verse 7, in order that. In the coming ages, he, that's God, might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. What the heck does that mean? Paul writes these run-on sentences that just make your eyes cross, and you're like, what are you even talking about, man? Let me give you another translation. I think it will help us a little bit. Verse seven, and now God, here's another one, and now God can always point to us as examples. Now God, because he saved us, because he has raised us up and given us new life, he can always point to us, Christ followers, as examples of his very, very rich kindness. He's shown it to in all of us, right? In all that he has done for us through Jesus Christ. So I think what Paul is saying is that God wants to show off his goodness and his kindness so what does he do? He's a good father. He lavishes gifts on his children more and more and more. And when he does that, we see his glory. And the world around us sees his glory. That God is infinitely full of grace and mercy and goodness and kindness. And so he keeps, like a good dad, he keeps giving us gifts. And when he does, we praise him. And when we praise him, we're completely satisfied because God is perfect and holy. And so then he gives us more gifts and we praise him more. And he continues to give us good things. And it's shouting to the world, look at my children, the goodness and the kindness I've showed to them. And we praise him and he gives us more. And the world praises him and it's this cycle and it's incredibly beautiful. And yet, even still, it has nothing to do with anything that we've done. It's all God's work in us and for us. I know this is a little heavy. Stick with me. It's really important. Verse 8. Paul writes, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Really famous verses. Let me read them one more time. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. It is not by works so that no one can boast. Okay, look at it, let's break this down a little bit. We are saved, he says, we are saved by grace through faith. Think about this, we are saved 
We are saved to God, right? From what? From, what are we saved from? We're saved from sin. We were sinners. We were enemies of God, yet we were saved to God, into a relationship with God, by grace, that is the cross of Christ. Jesus died on the cross in his graciousness. He paid for our sins, right? He died to forgive our sins, and he took on, remember Paul said that we were due God's wrath? He took on the wrath of God. He didn't have to do that for us. He chose to do that out of love. We are saved by grace through faith. And how do we have faith? Through the Holy Spirit. Faith is a gift of the Holy Spirit of God. Do you see our reliance on God? Our absolute, complete reliance on God. This is really hard for me because I don't wanna depend on anyone. I have said those words in my life. I have thought that so many times. I don't need help. I'll do it on my own. In fact, I'll do it on my own and then I'll shove it in your face to show you that I can do it on my own. (laughs) Right, that's how I live. I don't want any help. I don't need you. And yet when you see this and you hear Paul and you let it settle in your spirit and you go, man, without God, I'm dead. I can do nothing apart from Christ. You you start to really understand, man, I am so dependent on God for everything. Can I show you one more thing? It's a little nerdy. Um, I'm lying, it's very nerdy, but I think it helps. It's helped me understand as I've walked with Christ throughout my life how much I need him. So theologians would call, what I'm gonna show you, they would call this uh, the order or the process of salvation. Now there's a a number of different ways you can sort of lay this out. We're not gonna get into, into the middle of it, but what does it look like to enter into a relationship with Christ and to walk with him through your life? And how dependent are we? And just, it's gonna get heavy. It's kind of go to seminary with me for just a minute. This is what we would call the process or the order of salvation, and I want you to see how reliant on God we are. So, salvation starts with election, that God chose for himself before the foundation of the world a people. We're not going to argue about how that happens. Paul says in Ephesians 1 that God does this. He chooses for himself a people. Did you do that or did God? God did that, right? Then, there is a gospel call. Someone presented the good news of Jesus Christ to you and your ears were open to hear it and your heart was open to receive it. Did you do that or did God? And then there's regeneration. This is the process of being reborn, born again. Did you do that or does God do that? God. Then there's conversion. This is actually crossing the line of faith. Now you might go, well, I do that. Well, okay, maybe, except that Jesus says, that only those who the Father draws to himself will come. So it's at least driven by God. Then there's justification, being in right legal standing with God. Did you do that or did God? God. Then there's adoption into God's family. Again, you or God. I have three kids. They're all adopted. Did they adopt themselves into my family? Right? God adopts us into his family. Then there's sanctification. This is being made more like Christ as we go through our lives. You or God. Well, you, you could argue maybe that you play a role in it. Maybe we're partners in it, but it's still the Holy Spirit of God who has to work in us to change us into the image of Christ. Perseverance, same thing, right? It's like we might play a role. We might partner with God in it, but this is the Spirit of God leading us. Death, do you know the number of days of your life? Glorification, can you create for yourself an eternal body that will last forever after this life? I mean, do you just see, you take one 
snapshot of life, just our salvation, and you go, man, this is not my doing. This is the love, this is the richness and kindness of God's love in me. I have nothing to contribute. And I would encourage you to, to go and read the rest of the verses in this section, 11 through 18, and Paul sort of reframes it, much of the same, but he reframes it with a different analogy, but I hope that you would see this was sort of settle into you, the dependence that we have on God. And it's not just, it's not just this one sort of aspect that it, it's like, okay, God, God saves us, God sort of gets us over the hump, and then we're all on our own. It's like, no, throughout our life, this, doesn't, this dependence on God doesn't stop at salvation. That's sort of just where it begins. Throughout our life, there's this continual as we walk with God, dependence on him. That every day, that you could walk with Jesus for 10, 20, 50 years, and every day, you are dependent on him. We remain completely dependent on him. Watch, I can, I can prove it to you. Verse 10, watch how Paul ends this section. He says, for we are God's handiwork, we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Oh, this is our part. This is where we take over and, and, and we do all the good stuff, right? Well, except he says this, the good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So even the things that God has mapped out for our life, that he has plotted out for us to do today and every day, he laid them out before the foundation of the world and he walks with us through those to accomplish his purpose. Do you see how dependent we are? So just even in the day-to-day, -day, it's like when your kids are driving you crazy and you just want to get in a car and drive as far away as you can. It's God who strengthens you. It's God who gives you the will and strength to lean in. When your boss yells at you or embarrasses you and you want to turn over a desk, it's God who gives peace to you and causes you to be humble. When you see someone in need and, and, and you move towards them to provide for them, it's God who strengthens you to do that, who softens your heart to do that, who provides for you to do that. He plotted out these things before the foundation of the world, and if we're to walk through him or walk through them, we need to go with him, totally dependent on God. You see that? There's a lot of theology. Are you awake? You need to stand up and stretch your legs. It's a lot, but it's really important. And understanding this will impact how you walk with the Lord. So let's, try and, let's push into this a little bit and try and figure out what do we do with this? How do we build up, exercise this muscle of dependence on God? For some of us, I'm guessing that this is new, right? Because we live in an age that says you don't need anyone. It's so ingrained in us. Don't ask for help. Dependence is a weakness. And so I'm guessing that this is pushing on some of you and you, you, you kind of want to push back a little bit. So let's, let's look at how do we build our dependence. And there's probably lots of ways that we could go about this. Just a couple of ways I think that have helped me in my life. I'll share them with you and I don't know, write them down in your notes if you want. Number one is that my dependence on God grows when I ask him for help, you go, well, that sounds really silly. Yeah, it, it does. It seems so obvious, but how often do I find myself in a messy situation and I go, man, I forgot to even include God in this. I forgot to even say, God, I need your help. And it seems so simple, but if we would slow down, right, we somehow skip past all of this. God, I, I need your help. God, I can't do this on my own. 
I mean, think as a culture, if you look around the world, you could probably explain some things. We've stopped asking God for help, but as individuals, when you're confused, if you need wisdom, if you have a physical need, if you have a spiritual need, if you have a financial need, if you have a relational need, have you slowed down long enough to ask God for help, to seek him, to seek out his wisdom, to ask his opinion, to listen? Here's what we're really good at. We're really good at asking the internet what to do. Have you asked God? And it doesn't mean he has to give you what you ask for. It's not like some cosmic game of go fish and God has to give you the cards in his hands that you've asked for. It doesn't work that way. But when you ask God to help you, when you rely on God and he provides for you, you build trust and your dependence grows and it grows and it grows. And so I would just push on you and say, if you have a need, have you asked him? Number two, my dependence on God grows when I wait. Psalm 37 says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. This is so the opposite of what's natural because we're told you got to make things happen. If you want it, go get it, right? And God goes, whoa, just, just be still. Just be quiet. Just rest. Doesn't mean be lazy. When God says move, you move. But he wants you to wait for him. And it's so hard because we want things now, right? And we think we have to go get it, go make it happen. But my dependence on God grows when I sit, when I wait, when I'm quiet. In just a minute, I wanna, I wanna sort of end by doing this. Uh, we, can, we can talk about it or we can just practice this, exercise this muscle of dependence together. And we'll do that in just a second. I, I, I can't help but think though, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I wonder what you've heard. It's pretty strong language. This idea of being spiritually dead might even sound kind of harsh. And you, you might even argue like, what are you talking about I'm dead? I'm right here, I'm alive, I'm, I'm breathing. Well, the Bible says that you're spiritually dead. Though you may be alive physically, you're spiritually dead. Not my words, God's words. And I actually don't think I have to convince you. I think you know it. I think you feel it. The Bible says that it doesn't have to be the case. It says if you're wanting a relationship with the Lord, all you have to do is ask. If you're here today or you're watching online, you, you could start a relationship with Jesus and, and be moved from death to life today. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus died for our sins and raised from the dead, look, Jesus didn't die to make you a good person. He died to give you life. He, he died because you're dead and he wants to bring you to life and he wants to take away your sin and your shame, past, present, and future. Are you with me? Like, there's new life. You don't have to walk around dead anymore. You can have everlasting life. In just a minute, I'm gonna give you a chance. I'm gonna pray and give you a chance to, to do the same and ask God to make you alive. But I do wonder, for the rest of us, it's like, you hear this, I'm dependent on God. How do you hear it? Is it real? Are you dependent on God? He says he's saved you, he's raised you up, he's seated you with Christ. You see, absolute dependence on God. We were created 
as his handiwork, designed before the foundation of the world, that every day we'd need him, we'd be dependent on him. So let's do this. Let's bow our head and close our eyes for a minute. And let's practice our dependence on God. I want you to just be still for a minute. Just sort of calm your spirit. Be still. Be quiet. I've thrown a bunch at you today. Just reflect on what we've talked about. Are you dependent on God? Tell him. Is there a way that you need to start depending on him more today? Tell him. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, but you want to begin a relationship with him, you can do that right now. There's no magic formula. There's no magic prayer. Just talk to God quietly. Say something like, God, I want to depend on you. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead, and I want to follow him. If you ask God today to forgive your sins, he will make you alive and give you eternal life right now. Father, we need you. We are totally dependent on you for the very air that we breathe. God, we confess where we've thought we could do it on our own, where we've thought we didn't need you. We do need you. God, reveal to us even now ways that we need you that we can't even see. Holy Spirit of God, help us to trust you. You know the ways that we need to rely on you. Help us today. God, thanks for never giving up on us. We declare today that we are dependent on you. And we know we can be. We know that we can trust you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.